Good morning. We will read this morning from 1 Peter 5, from verse 1. I remind you that these are the word of God, God speaking to us. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be, re- re- to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And, we, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you are younger. Submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all glory, all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my brother, my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Thanks, Peter. Good morning, friends. Welcome. It's great to have you with us. My name is Grant, and I'm part of the team at Christchurch, and I've met a number of new people this morning. Some are just visiting uh, for the holidays, and it's lovely to have you with us. Hope you feel welcome and at home with us, and we'd love to meet you afterwards over a cup of coffee. Um, The Lord of Darkness is chasing us this morning, so the electricity goes off at 10 o'clock, and so that'll give you hope that my sermon will come to an end. And our service will come to an end, but notwithstanding no electricity, um, we will still be able to serve coffee. There's a generator for the, for the cappuccinos. At least we've got our priorities straight, yeah. If you, if you are new and would like to know more about us as a church, um, perhaps you uh, are here for the first time and wondering whether this is a place that you could settle into, we'd also love to get to know you or get to greet you afterwards. And one of the ways that you can do that is you can come and talk to me personally 
afterwards, which I'd love it if you did, or you can fill in a Connect card, which you might have been given as you came in, a black card. I think there's a slide. Is there a slide for the Connect card? No slide, okay. Um, fill it in and leave it on your seat and we'll collect it and be in touch with you this week uh, if you would like to know more about us. I'm going to pray and then we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5 together. Father, we thank you that we have the great privilege of being able to open your word this morning and to hear from heaven itself. And so we pray that you would remove all obstacles to us hearing your word, that you'd clear our minds, that you'd open our hearts, that you'd soften our will so that we can listen to you and receive your word as it is, the very word of the living God, in whose name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Today, uh, if you've been with us uh, this term, you'll know that we've been in the book of 1 Peter. It started eight or nine weeks ago, and today it comes to a close. It's been a very wonderful book to journey through together as a church with many lessons for us on how to live in this world while we wait. Um, soon after I re relocated from Cape Town to Durban 25 years ago, a friend uh, gave us tickets to go and see the Stormers playing the Sharks in the Shark Tank, Kings Park Stadium. My wife and I were there um, rooting for the Stormers and uh, we, I noticed after a while that we were the only ones in our block that were rooting for the Stormers. Um, after a controversial and match-winning try by the Stormers, a chilled hush descended on the crowd around us. It was then that my wife decided to cheer for the Stormers, the top of her voice standing up, because no one else seemed to be encouraging them. <clears throat> and so she stood to her feet and started to cheer. I tried to point out the value of a more muted response whilst grabbing her hand and running. We were sheep in lion's country, or if you like, Stormers in shark's country. Now, Peter is writing in the early 60s to Christians who are living in northwestern Turkey. They were under pressure for being Christians. They were scattered, they were small, they were powerless. Um, they were objects of escalating hostility, <clears throat> excuse me, slander, sometimes imprisonment, and eventually that would lead to death in the arena for, on public display for the Christians that Peter's writing to. And so he's writing to them to teach them how to live in the world that is dangerous for Christians, in a world that is hostile towards Christians. And he's been reminding us all the way through this book that the way that you'll get through this world is to remember that this world is not all that there is, that there is something else that lies ahead. If you only use your eyes, you'll never see it. We need God to tell us about the other world, but there is another world that we live for and therefore we can put up with what we have to put up with now because this is not our final destination. And so we don't have to be comfortable or safe in this life because we will in the life to come. And so this world is a world that is full of hostility and rebellion and opposition to God and to his people. This is a humbling passage because in verse 2 we are called sheep. Um, I remember when my, my children were little, we used to play a game around the, the dinner table. If you could be any animal, which one would you be? 
I don't ever remember any of them asking to be a sheep. I do remember them sometimes saying, couldn't we eat a sheep at the dinner table? But a sheep is not an animal that you'd like to be. It's an insult in some ways to be called a sheep. Peter's already insulted us, by the way, in chapter 1 and verse 2. The verse will be on the screen, verse 25. You were all like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Not a very flattering picture of what we are. Sheep, uh, no one's scared of a sheep. They're defenseless and they are vulnerable. Who'd want to be a sheep? And yet that is the name consistently throughout the New Testament that is given to the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's, what is worse for these sheep and for us as sheep is that verse 8 says that we are in lion country. Verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Being a Christian is not only hard because the world is against us, but more than that, we have a fearful enemy who prowls around like a lion called the devil. The world is against us, but the devil is also against us. And so as he ends his letter um, in chapter 5, he's going to talk about how we can be safe as a flock, as the flock of God. So here is a flock safety chapter for us. And he's going to address three groups of people in this chapter. In verse 1, he talks about he talks to the elders of the flock. In verse 5, the first part, he talks to the young men in the flock. And then also in verse 5, he says, all of you, which includes elders and young men. So we're going to look at those three uh, headings this morning. First of all, to the elders, verses 1 to 4. Peter addresses the elders. He addresses them as a fellow elder. You'll see in verse 1, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. And so he's a first amongst equals because he's not only an elder, he is also an apostle who has unique authority that elders don't have. He has apostolic authority, but he's not less than an elder in the church. And so he calls himself a fellow elder. And the word is the word presbyteroi, from which we get the word presbyter. In our denomination, um, we call those who are ordained into the ministry by the bishop, we call them presbyters. There are three presbyters in this congregation, me, Sean, and JP. And so he's addressing the presbyters, the elders, those whose job it is especially to be Bible-teaching pastors and leaders in the church. If you're going to be safe in lion country... We need godly elders. It's important for us as a church to hear what the Bible's expectation is of elders because we can get that wrong often, and it's important for you to know so that you've got a standard to which you can hold the presbyters and those who are responsible for the Bible teaching in this church. He first of all says in verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock. Such an important phrase. That's easy to miss over, and I, don't, I want to just slow down at the moment. How important it is for those who are elders in the church, who are in leadership in the church, to be reminded whose flock it is. It's not their flock. It's God's flock. There are many pastors who treat their congregations as though they are theirs, ownership, instead of stewardship. And so the flock belongs to God. He is the owner of the sheep. 
And uh, so Peter is reminding the elders that those who you influence, those who you teach, the flock that you lead is not your flock. They are not there for your benefit or for your gain as you teach them and influence them. It's God's flock that he has delegated to you for your care. That's an important perspective for us to keep. There is authority attached to being an elder, to being a shepherd. They are overseers, verse 2 says. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. There is authority that is attached to the position. But don't forget that it's delegated authority and it's not ownership. They are not the owners. And it's so important for us to remember that and to be reminded of that today, for we are living at a time when leadership styles, especially in the Christian church, are under new scrutiny. And there have been many scandals, a growing number of leadership scandals in the church with bullying pastors who are demanding and entitled and who view the people that God has entrusted to their care as their possession as their own sheep. Well, how can we avoid that? Peter helps us with three temptations that the elders are to resist. The first is there needs to be willingness, not obligation. Look at verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. There's an attitude that the elder needs to have. Don't be a, a person, Peter is saying, who begrudgingly serves God's sheep. Don't serve under compulsion. Recognize the enormous privilege that God has given you to care for his flock. Do it willingly. There needs to be an inner desire to do it willingly and not under compulsion. If you feel obligated, then you will become entitled. And so it's so important that it's willing and voluntary because you want to do it, not because you feel obligated to do it or there's pressure to do it. Secondly, there needs to be enthusiasm rather than greed. Also verse 2, as not greedy for money, he says, but eager to serve, enthusiastic to serve. This is uh, such an important uh, principle in our country, isn't it? Our country and our continent is awash with greedy pastors who want their sheep's money and who fleece their sheep for money. Peter says, be eager to serve, not eager to take. Be eager to give rather than eager to take. Third temptation is they must lead by example and not by domination. Verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Domineering pastors, leadership by example, not by domination, not by lording it over anybody or manipulating them or coercing them. Uh, The previous church that I served at was uh, 40% 40 Indian because of where we were uh, in Durban. It was a wonderful um, experience uh, cross-culturally, especially at bring and share evenings. Never, you've never tasted curry like that. Um, and Ju- where's Julian? Julian and I are still looking for a decent curry. Not that Julian, the other Julian. <laughs> Sorry. 
Um, but what is interesting is that many of the churches in the Indian areas in Durban have domineering pastors. And it came clear to me when I was told by the Indian flock that were joining our church that I am the Lord's anointed. They can't just call me Grant. They have to call me Pastor Grant for I am the Lord's anointed. And we had to talk about that before. I'm not the Lord's. Who is the Lord's anointed? Jesus. And so there is a danger, isn't there, that we can elevate pastors to a position that they ought not to have. And so Peter anticipates that. And he says, don't lord it over those that are entrusted to your care, but lead by example. It's a very important principle that you are to hold us to. But you know, selfishness in church leaders, selfish ambition in church leaders will be curtailed when they remember, verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears. Just that phrase. We, we are called shepherds. Um, verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock. But there is a chief shepherd. There is a chief shepherd who will appear according to verse 4 who will call us to account, a higher authority to whom we will answer. See, the shepherds of God's flock are just actually under-shepherds who will answer to the chief shepherd when he will appear. But there's a lovely promise to those who serve well in verse 4. You will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. It's such a good reminder. Our motivation is Jesus and the crown that he gives and so as we navigate lion country, we need elders like this. So can I ask you, if this church is your home, please will you pray for those that lead you, that we will exhibit these qualities and that the Lord will keep us from the temptations that Peter mentions here. The second group that he refers to are the young men in verse 5. Young men in the same way, be submissive, to those who are older. Why does he mention the young men? It's because Peter has lived long enough and is wise enough to know that young men who love to flex, which is very natural and right and developmentally appropriate, they can be prone to the longest word in the English language, anti-disestablishmentarianism. They can rail against the authorities. They can be rebels. Some commentators think that the backdrop to Peter's comment here in verse 5 might be that he's speaking to a group of Christians who have been newly scattered. They were part of churches where the leadership was established and there weren't any leadership issues, but now they've been newly scattered and they've got to reorganize and re-get themselves into churches again. And so Peter wants to remind them that uh, there needs to be good order, and good order, generally speaking, in the church is that young men need to accept the leadership of the elders. Rebelliousness from young men, from young people, can weaken God's flock, and it can make it possible for the lion to attack. And so young people, he says, be submissive to those who are older. You couldn't find a more countercultural comment than that, could you? It seems that every younger generation knows better than their elders. There's truth to the, 
to the old saying that before our children are 15, they can't believe how clever you are. And then when they get to the age of 20, they can't believe how stupid you are. And then when they hit 25, they're amazed at how much you've learned. So just as the elders have to be clear that they are living and working under God's authority and his chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, so the younger are to be submissive to those that God has established as leaders, to accept the care and the leadership of those who have responsibility for them. It's not saying that young people must be subservient, and it's not saying that the, old, the older people are always right, but it is saying that there is a general order and economy to God's church that ought to be followed for the sake of safety, generally speaking. It's sad that there are no shortage of examples of when elders who have abused their position make the church an unsafe place. But if it's working the way it ought to work, then it will be a safe place for God's flock. And so let's receive God's word here as it is to us this morning. And, uh, and let's not put too many caveats into it, too many disclaimers. This is what God's ideal is. Sometimes it goes wrong. But this is the ideal that we're working towards. Let's pull together towards God's ideal here in chapter 5. While we wait for the chief shepherd, he provides under shepherds that are to be received and followed. And then thirdly, he says, all of you, in the second part of verse 5, and that takes us up to verse 11. You know, there are two other things that can let the lion in and tear us apart that all of us are susceptible to, no matter what position we occupy, no matter what age we might be in the local congregation. The first of the two things is pride and anxiety, two sides of the same coin. Look at the second part of verse 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. He mentions humility three times in two verses. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxieties onto him for he cares for you. All of you, elders and young men and younger people, clothe yourselves with humility, pride, can let the lion into God's flock to do his damage. Pride is thinking too highly of yourself, which church elders might well be very susceptible to, but young men are susceptible to that too. We're all susceptible to that. And so we all need to hear God's word to us this morning. If we're going to get along together, if we're going to be safe as God's flock, let's clothe ourselves with humility. Let's not think more highly of ourselves as we ought. Let's not elevate our contribution and our opinion as more important than anybody else's. For that will lead to divisiveness and, and grumbling and slander and arrogance. Humble yourself, says Peter, in order to fortify against the lion. Accept your place that God has given you. Trust God. And notice the lovely little promise tucked away at the end of verse 6 that he might in due course, in due time, lift you up. He will lift you up one day in his way and in his time. Don't force it, is what Peter is saying. Such common sense and wonderful godly advice, a reminder to all of us that no matter what your status in the church, 
All of us are called to be self-forgetful about our position and to keep our eye on the world to come. That's going to help us to batten down the hatches against the devil. And how do we humble ourselves? Well, one way that we humble ourselves, I think, is verse 7, casting your anxieties onto him. That's an, that's a, it's actually an expression of humility. Anxiety and pride often go together. Our anxieties are often anxieties about ourselves, about our own position, about our own reputation, and they can fill our concerns because we can be proud and self-centered. Anxiety, some kinds of anxiety, can make us proud and consumed with ourselves. And Peter, our fellow elder, is saying, cast those anxieties onto him because he cares for you. Anxiety can paralyze us in the service of others, can't it? We can be so concerned about ourselves and our own worlds and having it all under control that there's no room for anybody else. It'll stop us from serving. But you know the word cast there in verse 7, cast your anxieties, literally means throw down or dump. Dump your anxieties onto God. Isn't that a wonderful invitation from Peter for us? What is, what is worrying you at the moment? Dump it on God, says Peter, because he really does care for you. If you're a member of God's flock, there is a great, caring, loving, powerful shepherd who is your shepherd, who knows your situation, knows your concerns, your worries. He knows what's been done to you and what you are facing and what has happened. He knows all of those things. And he, through his apostle this morning, invites you to dump your anxieties onto him. It's a great verse to meditate on when you are anxious. Don't cling, cast. Don't descend into anxiety, dump. Give it over to your chief shepherd who has demonstrated how much he loves you through the death of his own son. And so we turn our burdens into prayer. We turn to the one who controls all things. Don't be proud and don't be anxious. Secondly, he says in verse 8 and 9, be self-controlled and alert. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, verse 8, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Be controlled and alert has to do with resisting temptation. That's what Peter is saying. As you wait for the next world, as we journey through this one with all of its struggles and hostilities and opposition, be self-controlled and alert. We have a vicious spiritual enemy the devil. C.S. Lewis has taught us that there are two dangers when it comes to the devil. We can either think too much of him or we can think too little of him. And you know, Westerners generally have the latter problem. You don't have to, con you don't have to convince Indians in Durban about the devil. 
But Westerners, in my experience, we don't think about or speak about the devil very much at all. But has it occurred to you that we have someone who actually really hates us? A horrible and disgusting creature that prowls around like a lion looking to devour. That is the spiritual reality. You, you, you can't see it with your eyes. But that is what God reveals to us this morning. And the devil loves to do two things to get Christians to stumble. He loves to tempt and he loves to accuse. That's what he does. That is his job description. He tempts us to fall. And when we fall, he loves to sit back and point his finger at us and accuse us. And we've all had that experience. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, you've had that experience. You wrestle with your sin. You struggle with your sin. You feel terrible about your sin. You wonder, can I really be a true believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ if I keep going back to that thing? Or if I keep doing that thing, or if I did that again? And so Peter says, in the face of temptation and in the face of accusation, be self-controlled and alert. Being aware of the devil and his plan is 50% of the battle. Be self-controlled, resist his temptations. It's, it's actually a wonderful thing, verse 9, resist him. That It's wonderful to know that the devil can be resisted. You don't have to give in to his temptations. And in fact, Peter um, is very, very sobering for us. He says, standing, verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. That should both be comforting to us and challenging to us. So you're not alone. Everybody is tempted and accused by the devil. If you're a follower of Jesus, expect the lion. He's going to come at some point or another. And so the encouragement is well, that's actually our shared experience as God's flock. This is what all of us are facing. But there's also a little tone of warning, I think, in verse 9, is that please don't think that you are a special case who has an excuse to give in to the devil's temptation. Brothers all over the world are resisting temptation. What's wrong with you? You can as well. It is worth remembering, isn't it, that when we give in to temptation, it's not because the devil made me do it, but it is because I chose to give in to temptation. It's good to be reminded of that. It's going to help me to stand firm and to be alert. Friends, the devil is real, but for Christians, he's not to be feared, for our chief shepherd has defeated him. The lamb has defeated the lion. He can make a noise, but he's got no teeth. He can look scary, but his claws have been pulled. For the sheep of Jesus, he's basically a big, loud kitten. But he can intimidate us, and he can scare us, and he can tempt us, and he can accuse us. And he will do it with his slanderous lies. God doesn't really care for you. Do you think God would let you go through that struggle if he really cared for you? You're not really a Christian because you wouldn't be struggling all the time with that one thing if you were really a Christian. Can you hear the lies? It comes to us all in one form or another. You're being overlooked in the church. The elders, they don't appreciate you. They don't take you seriously. You should stand up against them. 
your Father in heaven doesn't really love you. Tempting and accusing all the time. It's normal, says Peter, don't feel alone. That's what all Christians face. And so let's recognize that and let's stand firm and be alert. Well, friends, there you have 1 Peter. It's been a great book. I've been so personally challenged and refreshed by it. It's been great to work through it with you. How will we really endure in a hostile world with rising opposition, with unjust suffering, and with a hungry lion? How will we endure? Well, let me end before Eskom ends us off and look at verse 10. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Can I just mention to you quickly in that verse, there are two perspectives. There is a past tense perspective. God called you 